When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's talk about that speech with Claire and Rachel. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Let's Talk About Speech podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Claire. And we're back for another episode. Last week, we had Shannon from Speechy Musings on, and it was so good to talk to her all about creating different materials and dealing with imposter syndrome and things like that. So if you guys haven't had a chance to take a listen to that, stop, go listen, and then come back for today's episode. Yeah. So today's episode, we are really excited for, we're going to be talking about a fun, but kind of stressful topic applying to your CFY year. So this is a really important episode for new grads, um, even undergrads, graduate students, anybody that's kind of in that portion of your SLP life and SLP career, where you're thinking about applying to CF year. Um, And for those of you who may not know, who are listening that aren't speechy, CFY is our clinical fellowship year. So that's the year that we have before we are able to be like licensed and by ourselves, we still have a supervisor as a CF. So I explain it to people. I feel like it's kind of like a residency, except Mm -hmm. not as long. I, when people ask me what it is, I'm like, it's like a residency before you're a doctor because you still have to like like report to someone. Yeah. Or like a bridge year, right? Yeah. It still feels like. I mean, you definitely feel out and on your own, right, in your career, but you still feel like the learning part of grad school, I feel like. Yeah, and you still have somebody that you can go to with questions and hopefully someone you can go to with questions really easily and they're kind of there for you. Um, But we just kind of wanted to dive in to some topics. And for those of you who may not be in your CFY year, maybe older SLPs, we're also going to get into some interview questions and things about different types of populations and different types of working environments. So keep listening because it'll probably apply to you as well if you will be in a new job. Definitely. So one thing that we wanted to do kind of preparing for this episode was to pull our listeners on Instagram and see kind of their experiences with their CF, whether they're in it right now or applying or already completed it. And since we seem to have um, a lot of newer SLPs, CFs, and graduate students, we thought that this would be a really fun topic. So the first question that we asked was, what is the number one thing that you look for in your CF? So I'm going to, we're going to read all of the answers and then just kind of chat about them because I know Claire and I kind of have a lot of things to touch on. So these were the answers for number one thing people look for. The first was support, but not too much support. The next was quick, easy, and accessible EBP. Um, The next person said, honestly, just a job that would give me experience, which we're definitely going to touch on that. What type of learning experience I would have there, supervision, in-person mentorship, 
Another person said any SLP job. I remember being so stressed that I wasn't going to find one. An on-site supervisor, anything that paid, but honestly, probably the setting. Outpatient peds, specifically someone said, and then job flexibility. So there's kind of a wide range of answers there um, that we can dive into. Yeah, I feel like personally, just thinking back on my CF year, I was with the people that just wanted a job um, because at that point in my life, I was like, I need to start making a real income Mm -hmm. because I'm sick of working for free, especially after grad school. You really feel like you're working for free because Mm -hmm. you are. And, you know, it is what it is. It's part of the learning process. But I was just really ready to have a job. And I, I don't even, I'm not even talking from like a money standpoint as much as I am from like a consistent, having a regular schedule, having a structured, life and just being Mm -hmm. a part of that working class (laughs) is kind of what I was ready for. Um, I would say my biggest thing was probably setting, um, or at least population, I guess I should say. I was kind of open to settings, but I knew I wanted to work with kids um, and children, like that pediatric population. So I was open to whether it's like an outpatient clinic or a school or like a specialized school, like a preschool or um, a center for autism or something like that. So I would say that was probably my number one thing. But honestly, a lot of these apply to, you know, what you look for in your CF. And I thought the fact that someone said on-site supervisor was very interesting. I'm wondering if I'm wondering where they are in their career. Me too, because to I said, said that. Yeah, me too, because well, Rachel, yours wasn't on site, right? Mm-mm. And mine wasn't. Mine wasn't either. We were both. Well, Rachel's in the schools, <laughs> and then I did my CF in the school. So you can't have an SLP on site because they are working in their job. And I remember learning about CF year and hearing like oh, my supervisor has their own job too. So mm-hmm. they're supervising me and doing their own job. So it's a really big take on that they are doing for you. So, um, it's a little bit difficult sometimes because they do have their own caseload, their own paperwork, and then they have you who has your own caseload and own paperwork. So it is challenging, I think, to have a supervisor in a different site, but I've never known anything different. I agree that I think it would have been so cool to have an on-site supervisor because you could just really quickly go talk to them. Mm-hmm. But I, I think generally, and I don't know the true statistics for this, we should look it up, but I feel like generally a lot of people start in the schools or in some sort of school-based setting or Mm -hmm. clinic-based setting where they might be the only SLP in that spot. So it's possible. I also think it's interesting that somebody said that they were so stressed they wouldn't find one. I'm curious to see how quickly they found one because Mm -hmm. again, I feel like from experience, you're super stressed when you graduate without a job, right? I feel like most people graduate without a job, but think about where most SLPs end up in the schools. Schools don't start hiring until like August. So I know I didn't get hired until August and it is what it is. And Mm -hmm. you just kind of have to roll with it. And most people that I know were hired by August, usually in a school. And if they started earlier than that, it was in a hospital or uh, a sniff or something like that, but don't stress about finding one. Yeah. You know what? I think that's a very good point that the interview process is probably so tied to what kind of setting it is because I have an intern right now 
through um, Eastern Michigan University. And she just had an interview for a CF last week. And I'm oh like, gosh. I would have never in February, like I wouldn't what? even been thinking about it yet. Yeah. When you I know, heard that, bad, I was like, but... they're so prepared. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't even think I started turning in applications until mm-hmm. probably May, like until yeah. closer to graduation. So mm-hmm. that's interesting. It just depends though. I think it depends on the person. It depends on the time. Also we're yeah. dating ourselves, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing we asked people that I thought was interesting, um, was the type of setting. So kind of going along right with what we were saying, the type of setting that you did your clinical fellowship in. So most people did it in a school. There was one we had, um, for a skilled nursing facility. One was outpatient peds, a home health two outpatient peds. I'm sorry. Um, and a home health, but most people did it in a school majority. Mm -hmm. And I think that's pretty average across the board, whether it be a preschool, elementary school, high school, just being in that school setting, because think about it. You can do a public school. You can also do a contract position. And most of those contract positions are contracted with schools. So Mm -hmm. there's just a variety of positions in that aspect. Um, but I also feel like something important for setting is to know that your CF position doesn't have to be your forever position. If you're super lucky, like Rachel, for example, who got her (laughs) dream job right off the bat, that's awesome. But odds are it's not going to be that way. You might have to jump around to a couple of jobs before you find your dream job. I'm in my third position as as an SLP and we've Mm -hmm. only been working for five years. So that's just kind of the way my life took me. And it's the way that Um, I chose to kind of seek out different jobs when I wanted something new, but it doesn't, you don't have to be there forever. I feel like the advice I give to my students is you just need to find a job because you need your C's. You are so much more likely to get the job of your dreams with your C's. So don't just wait and wait and wait and wait for your perfect job. If it's Mm -hmm. not coming, you just, you need a job. If you're offered something, especially to get your C's, you need to take it. And you need the experience, right? Exactly. Like, I feel like right. everyone posts that meme that's like needs experience, mm-hmm. but also entry-level position, right. which makes no sense right? because you need one or the other. So just having that experience alone and being able to like effectively communicate about our profession in a variety of ways, as opposed to like what you've learned in a class, which is kind of like a stagnant setting right. as opposed to like hands-on exactly. is so, so important. Yeah. Completely agree. But I did think that was interesting. A lot of people said schools. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I also wanted to shout out the CFs that did their CF year in 2020. Yes, virtual. It, yeah, because someone specifically said that they were in a public yes, school and then they right. put virtual. And I cannot imagine learning your how to do your job, but then also on top, like learning how to become a teletherapist. I, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Same things with grad students and their internships where you are only getting telepractice experience. I feel for you because again, you might not have in-person experience when you're out in the field and then you're expected to provide that. So it's a crazy world we're living in right now. I can speak from like the supervisor standpoint point from that. And I'm sure you can clear too, but I feel like it's so, it was for me, at least it was so much more challenging to teach a grad student how to give therapy effectively through teletherapy, because Mm -hmm. there's so many 
materials right off the bat you can't use and so many barriers that you have to face and yeah oh now what about like connectivity issues or internet or access and things like that so yeah it was interesting because I feel like so I've I've cycled through two groups of grad students right now the first Mm -hmm. group had a couple months, January and February, where they were able to give in-person in our clinic. And then in March is when COVID hit. So that group, it was a little bit harder, I think, to teach them because they knew what it could have been. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to do all these physical things and all these ideas that they had ready to go, but they couldn't because Mm -hmm. maybe it didn't work over telepractice. And now this group that we have that started in the fall is a little bit easier just because we know we know it now. And for them, it's all they've ever known. Mm -hmm. So it's a little easier to teach, but yeah, it's, it's hard. It's going to be equally hard. Rachel was just saying, you just went back to school in person and what a huge change that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, I had my intern today and she was like, okay, I'm going to have to get used to like the back to back to back because with teletherapy, you'd have like that little bit of lag. Or like I said, we face like a lot of connectivity issues or access issues and things like that. And that I just know, like, that's already going to be a little bit of a learning curve. Yeah, definitely. So interesting. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't even think about that until now. Um, so the next thing that we asked for was just any advice that um, SLPs in our profession already would have to give to a grad student that's in the process of applying for CF. So um, we have six pieces of really awesome advice. So I think this would be really beneficial for any graduate student that's going through this process to listen. So the first one was to make sure you meet your supervisor and click with them, which I did not meet my supervisor prior to accepting my position. Did you? Well, actually, yes. Yes. I'm sorry. That's a lie. Yes, I did. But I didn't know she would be my supervisor. Um, I took, I took my CF in the place that I interned. So I knew her from interning with the school, but at the time I didn't know that she was the one that would. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I thought that was really interesting and kind of helpful to see like if you're going to click or groove with them granted it would probably be like a short meeting so I don't know how much you would get out of that but it's a great question to ask honestly I wouldn't have even thought of it as a little cf to be like um can I meet my supervisor but Mm -hmm. I think that's a great absolutely a great piece of advice yeah we'll tag that on to our next section which is talking about the interview process but the next piece of advice was to be yourself and know that you have so much skill and knowledge to share which was so sweet I got like a little teary-eyed reading that because it's so true I feel like when you're newer to a position and straight out of your field you kind of doubt yourself um but the best piece of advice that I can give you is that you haven't been working in this field for so long. So you're not super set in your ways and you're not set on doing it this way and things are always evolving. So I thought that was a really nice piece of advice. The next is that having an on-site supervisor is extremely valuable, which we already touched on this. Um, Someone also, or they also put as well as other speech providers, which I can touch on this a little because Right now, my building has um, one and a half full-time speech pathologists. So the one is me, and then the half is a CF who split at my school and then a middle school. And unfortunately, I'm not her CF supervisor because that was a different position, and I already do department head. But she is able to rely on me for tons of questions, and I think that's super 
helpful for her, or at least I hope it is. Um, I think I would have appreciated that if I was in that position. Yeah, me too. Um, The next one is to be open to learning, which we just touched on. Be patient and the right one will open up. And then the next person person said, it took me five months to find the CF that I wanted. Don't get stressed. It takes time and that's okay. And that's kind of what Claire was touching on earlier with the don't stress part, Um, especially because in such a variety of settings, like we shared the interview process and timeline looks different for all of those. And five months is, I know it sounds long, but it really isn't you guys, Mm -mm. especially, I mean, I know it would feel long when you're trying because you're stressed and you're anxious about getting a job, but you will find one. I promise. And you will find one that gives you an experience. You'll find one that you enjoy. Um, and I, I still stand by, you know, take what is offered to you, especially if you're in a rush to get a job, um, just to get those season and you can always move on to another job later after you have more experience, like Rachel Mm -hmm. said. So next we wanted to go just briefly into some interview questions. Um, interview questions to be prepared for. So if you Google SLP interview questions, you'll find a zillion million questions. So we're Mm -hmm. not going to bore you with like too much of that because you can find that on your own, but just ones that we wanted to touch on that we felt like were super important. The first is to introduce yourself. And I feel like the biggest piece of advice I ever got was making sure not to just rattle off your resume. They have your resume. It's right in front of them. They can see your experience. This is a chance when they say most interviews will open up saying, tell me about yourself or introduce yourself. Or Mm -hmm. even if you just have a chance to say, hi, I'm so-and-so this, this, and this, that's a chance for you to really show your personality a little bit and to describe your authentic self. So what are your hobbies? What is your family like? Where are you from? You don't have to give your whole history. You don't have to go too in depth, but even just saying, I'm Claire. I'm from Toledo, Ohio. I really love to hike. So I'm so excited to be in Virginia. Um, I live with my fiance and my cat. I'm such a cat person there. And you just kind of show your personality a little bit Mm -hmm. there. I think it's really helpful for them to get to know that there's a person inside of this resume, because all they're really seeing is your resume. And you talk a lot about experience, not so much about who you are. Yeah. And I will say I've sat in on numerous um, interview Mm -hmm. panels and you can immediately tell from like demeanor and really the main introduction, who's excited to be there, who's super, super nervous, which Mm -hmm. nerves are normal. Um, I'm not saying you shouldn't be nervous because I get anxious about things like that, but just to make yourself relatable and open up a little bit so they can see your personality goes a really long way. Yeah, absolutely. Another one is strengths and weaknesses. Um, Strengths are pretty easy to come up with, pretty basic. Weaknesses I know are harder. And um, what Rachel was saying, I've been on some interview panels too where people will say that they can't think of any weaknesses or they will kind of just like gloss or they'll say their strengths Mm -hmm. and then they'll gloss over the weaknesses portion. And it's not it doesn't like make or break you. So don't be so stressed about it, but it's really important to recognize that you have weaknesses. Everyone has weaknesses, um, because we're human. So there's something and you don't have to make it like a negative either. You can turn Mm -hmm. it into a positive. That's what I feel like people always do with weaknesses, turn it into a positive. 
Um, the other thing, or the only thing I wanted to say about this was it's really best if you can relate it to a specific scenario, or at least have like a general idea of a scenario, because there's a good chance that they're going to ask you to elaborate if you just like say, oh, collaboration or oh, time management or something like that. They want to hear how that's relating to your profession and, and how it was a learning to- opportunity for yeah. you. There you go. Yeah. Um, some other things that you might be asked is about your most difficult client. Make sure you have kind of like Rachel was saying, make sure you have some specific scenarios or situations in your mind to talk about because, you know, they want to hear about the client, but then they also want to hear what you did. So I think it's really helpful to prep for interviews in this way is think about the clients you've had in the past, think about difficult ones, think about the ones that you feel like made the most progress, aha moments, things like that, um, that you can kind of keep in your bank. So if you have a question like that, it might be worded in a different way. Um, but something that you can touch on about your experience. A question that I've gotten everywhere I've gone is a time that you disagreed with a coworker or supervisor. So not someone like in life, but a coworker or supervisor, and then how you handled that situation. So this is real too, because there's always, even if it's a supervisor that's supervising you in your internship, there are always going to be times when you disagree or question people Mm -hmm. and they want to know that you don't just stand by and let things happen, that you take action, you ask questions, you don't just run also that you don't just run and tattletale on people that Mm -hmm. are doing wrong things that you go to the person and you talk with them about it. Uh, that's really what they're looking for. But I think that's important is to talk about disagreements and it, it doesn't have to be speech related either. I think in my first couple jobs, I related it to my part-time job, like my job at an ice cream shop, but Mm -hmm. they just want to know that you can work with people. And then a time that you faced adversity. I feel like when I was prepping for interviews, I was like adversity. I don't really even understand what that is. (laughs) Maybe I'm just dumb. I don't know, but this means difficulties in case you didn't know. Um, But I always hated the way it was worded because it always threw me off. I don't Mm -hmm. know why. But that word adversity always threw me off. Um, Think of a time you faced adversity. So again, with this one, it doesn't have to be speech related. I think that as a CF, they know that you don't have a ton of experience, but they want to know how you interact with people. A lot of these questions, there will be a lot of questions speech related, but there are some that they just want to get to know what kind of worker you are and what, how you thrive in a working environment. And then questions related to disorder areas populations, ages. So specifically where you'll be working. So in schools, they might ask you things about the common core standards, about IEPs, about evaluations. They might ask you about MBS or fees. If you're working in the hospital, Um, they might ask some really, really specific questions. Like tell me the difference between articulation and phonology. I know we all love that question, but I feel (laughs) like it's a real thing that you have to be able to know and explain. And then also questions related to the specific company or school, wherever you're going to be working. It's really, really important to research the place you're interviewing with prior so that you can get to know their system, not their system, but their um, mission. That's what I'm thinking Mm -hmm. of. Like know their mission statement, know what they stand for, some of their values, things like that. Just be familiar even with just their website because you can really impress them that way too. Yeah. And I feel like it's also important to note that it's, important or noteworthy for you to ask them questions at the end. I know that's usually um, an option, at least in every interview that I've been given. Um, And 
researching the company or the school or the program is super important for that too. I remember when I interviewed for my CF, which is the same job that I'm in right now, I asked if I would be trained on their IEP program because I did graduate school in Ohio in Ohio, special ed law is way different (laughs) than Michigan special ed law. Um, Yeah. So I just remember being um, or asking if I would be trained on that program and they were like very taken back. Like no one had ever asked that question. And um, yeah. So I'm always impressed when people ask questions though, when Mm -hmm. we're doing interviews and they have even, even just having questions, not even if they're crazy out Mm -hmm. there questions, but I think it's really good and professional to have those, even if they're just small questions about what you'll be doing, even if it's about next steps, things like Mm -hmm. that. It just, it's respectful and nice. Yeah. The other thing is to kind of like prepare yourself for multiple people to be in your interview. I'm unsure of how it looks with COVID with virtual interviews via Zoom or Google Meet um, as opposed to in-person interviews, but I had five people on my panel when I interviewed and I did not know that at all. So I just walked into a boardroom with five people sitting on like at the end of a very long table. And I was like, Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. My first, my first job, I had only three. So it was at in a small room. It was very, it wasn't that bad. It Mm -hmm. was fine. But then my second job in outpatient peds was the same thing as you, Rachel, it was this big board meeting, Mm -hmm. but it was everyone. I think there were probably 12 people in there. It was all the SLPs. There was two PTs, two OTs, the director, the there, it was so many people. I walked in there and granted, this was a job that I had been in contact with the director with for like a while, because, um, I was already PRNing with the company. So it was Mm -hmm. kind of just, um, I felt like it was kind of me just moving positions. (laughs) And so when I walked into that room, I was like, oh my God, I'm not prepared for this. It was, oh it was fine. I mean, I, I got yeah. hired, so it worked out, but, um, definitely be prepared for a lot of people to be there because you never know. Yeah. And that can be very intimidating. Have you ever been asked a very off the wall question? You know, I was trying to think of though. Yes. I just feel like when that happens, I black out. So I don't remember <laughs> because I remember the feeling of thinking, mm-hmm. oh my God, I didn't prepare for that question. I didn't prepare mm-hmm. for that question. What should I say? But I don't remember what they were. (laughs) So I know this is like not related to speech, but my husband uh, went to culinary school, but then um, got a degree in hospitality management. So worked like managing student housing and different things like that. Anyways, one of his interview questions for, I don't even know what job, but it was not a restaurant related job. One of his questions was, if you could be any flavor of ice cream, what would you be and why? I love those. So (laughs) wait, his answer is going to, you're going to die. Oh wait, tell me. I said, oh my God, what did you say? And he said, I said vanilla, which if you know my husband, he's like very quiet, like very laid back, not like me, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And I said, what do you mean you said vanilla? (laughs) And then he said, well, I said vanilla and then gave the explanation that that's the foundation and the base that you start with. And then you, I know he had this like very, eloquent response. And I was like, I would have said cookie dough, but I don't know why (laughs) because I'm fun and flavorful. (laughs) That's Uh, so funny, but honestly, it's a good point to kind of 
think that way. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I, in college, I, I remember when I had an interview for a student organization, I had a question like that. It was what part of a salad would you be? Oh. So very interesting. And like, I think I said the lettuce because it's the foundation, like very yeah. similar answer. Yeah. But so think of that in your mind, like think foundation, think of what mm-hmm. holds things together. Even if they ask you an off the wall question, hopefully you can come up with something like that. Yeah. So there's that's, your to yeah, <laughs> seriously. That's so funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we just want to end on some last minute, what to expect from your clinical fellowship year. Um, I feel like going into it, you can't ever be fully prepared because you're out in the real world. It's kind of like ready or not, here we go. So you just kind of go for it. Um, your supervisor signs off on your hours, but you still, at least I did feel really independent, especially if you are the only SLP in the building. And Mm -hmm. that's how it was for me. I was in three different schools and I was only SLP there. So I felt very independent, even though I still had a supervisor. Um, and I'm not sure, I think in the school, did you have your supervisor sign your documents? I can't remember like your IEPs. Mm, No, no. Yeah. You still, so you still sign all your own and that's Mm -hmm. how it is in the hospital. I know too. So you're, you are your own person. Like you can do all these things by yourself, which is great and fun. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, so your one thing I wanted to say was that your supervisor should absolutely help walk you through what to expect, but if they aren't on site, which like we've mentioned, uh, typically is the case, uh, you can feel like really isolated. So it's important to make sure you establish that strong relationship from the beginning and make sure there's open communication and even networking with SLPs that are in your district, right? They don't necessarily have to be your supervisor, but I'm sure they have answers on paperwork questions or can direct you on where to find materials or best practice for this or whatever. So just that networking piece I have found is super important as well. Yeah, definitely. Another thing is to expect a learning curve and be okay with it. Paperwork is different no matter where you go. So it's going to be different than your internship. You're not going to know what to do with paperwork, but you will be trained or you should be. And if you're not, there's a problem. That might Mm -hmm. be a question that you ask in your um, (laughs) oncoming boarding or even in, maybe not in your interview, but maybe when you get offered the job, you can ask what kind of training you'll get and make sure you get it because it's, it's truly different everywhere you go and no one can really prepare you for how that's going to look. Um, also expect a lot of aha moments. I think I even said that before, there are going to be moments where things just click, like things you learned from grad school just suddenly are like, wow, that's what professor so-and-so was talking about, or, oh my gosh, I totally get this now. And it's just the coolest feeling. I remember being a CF and having these moments and I had some teacher friends and I would always run into their room and be like, I just figured something so cool out. And I would be Mm -hmm. so happy. And I still have those moments, but they happen the most in my first year. And it's, it's really cool. And it's such a fun year because you really learn so much. Um, on the flip side of that, you're also going to, have things that you wish grad school had prepared you for. So things that you didn't learn in grad school or that it didn't teach you that come about. And I think some big things for me were a lot with collaboration with like Mm -hmm. OTs and PTs and teachers. Even, I feel like we learn a lot about being in our own lane of speech, but we don't learn a ton about how much we interact with other professions. And I think that was something that I wish grad school had prepared me for a little bit. 
And then obviously you're going to have so many accomplishments and it's going to be great. The CF year is hard, but it's also wonderful. And I think being a new little speechy is so much fun. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's all we have. That's all we have. I know this was so fun though. I know I'm looking at the time. I'm like, wow, we actually talked Rachel. and I didn't think we would talk this much about it, but this has been so fun. I've loved it. Um, if you guys have any questions about applying for a CF or any questions about anything we covered, just make sure to DM us, message us, comment on something we post, and we would love to kind of touch base with you and maybe collaborate and help you out if we can. Um, but that wraps up this episode, guys. Thank you again so much for joining us. And as always, you can find me, Rachel, on Instagram at supersweetspeech. And if you or anyone you know is in need of speech therapy in Southeast Michigan, feel free to email me at speechissupersweet at gmail.com. You can also follow the Let's Talk About Speech podcast on both Facebook and Instagram and Teachers Pay Teachers. So make sure you give those a like and a follow. And you can find me, Claire, on Instagram at kindly underscore speech or my Facebook page, Kindly Speech LLC. And if anyone in the Ohio area is in need of speech teletherapy, please contact me, kindlyspeechllc at gmail.com. Rachel and I always have also have the email for the podcast. Let's talk about speech podcast at gmail.com. Email us with questions, suggestions, or if you or someone you know would be great to be on the episode. We love doing our interviews with all of our collaborators. So please let us know. Thanks so much for listening. Hi.